many of us do need to restore a living connection to receive God's affection and then begin to imagine what it might be like to collaborate with him in the everyday territory of our lives. my misfit friends and welcome to the isle of misfits my name is the same as it was the last time we met nancy carmichael i am the chief misfit and your humble host and i'm so glad to have you here with me today because we have a special treat and i know i know all our guests are special right but this one is especially special because he's a part of a of a whole family who has an they've had a nexus pass to the aisle over the years and i'm not just talking as you know like a lot of the wild at heart family has has been here and that is true but i'm literally talking about the eldridge family as you know we've had john we've had stacy and today i have the pleasure of talking for the very first time to blaine eldridge so let me tell you a little bit about him if you don't know he is a writer he's a teacher he lives in Peyton, Colorado, and he's built teaching platforms. He talks about culture, history, theology. He loves to contemplate the gospel of Jesus and make resources to convey its astonishing beauty. And he's got, yeah, he's he's got all kinds of other credits under his belt, but I just feel like I need to stop talking about him and welcome you to the Isle of Misfits. Miss thank Fitz. you <laughs> yes so it glad is to an her. honor to be here on the aisle yeah I feel like the elders now sound like the literary Habsburgs that we <laughs> we simply won't go away but it's an honor oh. to follow in their footsteps on this oh, show contraire. for yes. having me yes I'm astonished and amazed anytime any one of you wants anything to do with me so hey thank you I would like to know what the name of your cat is who just became a part of this recording did he oh oh you're gonna love this uh if you I, i'm guessing you've read the the narnia chronicles so uh, once or 20 times so his name is edmund because he's he's a little bit naughty but he turns out okay in the end so yes but edmund the cat that is edmund the cat yes awesome he's a good boy and yeah he does like to be close by so he's just hanging out with me for the time being He's the only cat we've ever had that has yellow eyes. I don't know why I feel compelled to tell you that, but he does. He has yellow eyes. Uh, he seemed like a beautiful cat, long, luscious tail. I'm glad he could be here. Yes, we're glad. Welcome, Edmund. He's looking at me right now. So, so all right. So let's, but back to you. So I, I, I got to say this. In addition to all the things that I mentioned, I would add, you're a pretty deep guy. This is why I've picked up from you over the years. I because I've followed you a bit, right? I've listened to you when you've guest hosted on the Wild at Heart podcast, um, and you've always got these crazy deep insights about stuff, which I love. Um, and and if I'm not wrong, I think you wrote this beautiful piece that I think your dad read uh, over the podcast. It was it was just, and I might get this wrong, but revelation comes to mind like it, didn't you write this be this beautiful piece right i did yes yes, yes. uh in an, in an imaginative depiction of the procession into the new jerusalem the pictures of the return of christ are so beautiful we're in advent when we're recording i suspect this will be aired much later but we're in a time of deliberately 
preparing our hearts for the arrival of Jesus, of anchoring ourselves into the long tradition of expecting the Messiah's coming. The, I call him the comprehensive Karl Barth. He said that past and future coming are related like dawn and sunrise. It's in the light of Bethlehem that all faith has become Advent faith. Not all the images in the book of Revelation are uh, easy to access, and the the term that's given, not just in Revelation, but in Paul's letters for the term of Christ, is the parousia. It means the visitation. It specifically described the visit of a great foreign emperor when the people of a city would rush out to be a part of the victory parade. The Anglican Bishop Tom Wright has written about this in several places wonderfully, Surprised by Hope, excellent book. He says, this image, you have to picture the windows bursting open, bands begin to play, bells, trumpets, city gates, people streaming out because they've glimpsed the banners of a worthy king. And here come the vanguard, his knights, and behind him are the artists and the builders and the writers and the musicians. And then you would finally see him. And this is the picture of the reality of Jesus mm. coming back for his people. Mm. It's not a flashbang. It's not a catastrophic meteor. It's the visit of a great king. Mm. Mm. Together with his retinue, the saints and the hosts and the choirs. And I gave tried to give a picture of what it might be like Um to participate when we finally get to in the victory parade of the kingdom of God. Mm. So that's what that was about. So, okay. So while you're, while you're retelling me this and I'm revisiting when I heard it for the first time, I'm just now recalling one of the things, one of the reasons it so, it so deeply resonated with me is, um, so my, my mom passed away about seven, seven and a half years ago. And just before she passed away, my sister, who is also a beautiful writer like yourself, I don't write like beautifully, um, like like the two of you do, but she's very talented and beautiful. And so, so she she wrote something very reminiscent of what you just shared and what you wrote about her arrival at the banquet, and it was just mm. so moving. And like even to think of it now, I could just start to weep. Um, but that's that that that's it. That's it, right? It's what's to come. Like you said, all faith is Advent faith. I love that. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Uh, I love that your sister wrote that because yeah. we are designed by God to attach to concrete things. Yes. That hope isn't wishful thinking. It's the realistic expectation of coming good. Mm, I'll give you that, that line again. Yeah. Hope okay, is the yeah, realistic we'll expectation of coming good anchored in concrete images and scents and sounds. So... I'm so grateful for other writers who are able to imagine in a realistic way the entrance to the wedding feast mm -hmm. of Christ, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. sound of the last trumpet. The, you know, we're also, the prophets are great at this. Isaiah's ability to give concrete pictures of the rebuilding of cities, of children and mothers restored it's so vital so mm. encouragement mm. to our people who are listening our friends who are also writers and musicians yeah. speakers we need you 
to apply your gifts in the direction of fostering hope in an age that desperately needs it. Give us some concrete images to desire, folks. Mm, I love it. I wrote that down. Yes, the realistic, realistic expectation of coming good, anchored in realistic and concrete images. Love that. Love that. So, so all right. I I want to, with your permission, I want to share maybe even the link to that podcast because I think people need to hear that. So, if, if if is that okay if I either put it in the show notes or you know a link so that they can they can hear. oh they can totally do that now. I, I'm yeah. going to give an asterisk. Okay. That there is a longer and I think more accurate picture at the end of the Paradise King. So oh, when I beautiful. did okay. the entry okay. into the New Jerusalem, I was just beginning to experiment primarily with encountering Jesus myself okay. uh, by creatively engaging the images in the Bible, which are real. So I would add quite a bit okay. of nuance at this point uh, to that story. I would tell it and in fact, did tell it differently. But I think that essentially yeah. um, the emotion, the drama, the hope of Jesus' return, it's still all there. So there's my little footnote. Okay. You know that I'm yeah. quite footnote. I like, yes, yeah, so you're all about the footnotes. Uh, so. We're going to talk about that. You, know, you were like the footnote guy. Um, but yes, and that makes sense because, you know, this, this story, the story grows, right? The story doesn't stay stagnant. So, you wrote this a while ago, and the story is growing. That more details are being filled in, and I love that. So yes, so it's at the back of the book, and there's a reason I don't know. As I told you before, I, I've only begun to read this book, and I'm taking my time. This is the kind of book that I just I love because it's a book that you live with. So I'm going to put a pause there because I made you a promise before we hit record. I this is a tradition. We've done it with your mom. We've done it with your dad. We've got to carry it on. So uh, our longstanding tradition here in the aisle, before we move on, we are under contractual obligation to play what I like to call a stupid game. Stupid game. All right. I am ready. Okay. Forewarned is forearmed. <laughs> you seem ready to me. So, okay. So here's the rules of the stupid game. Uh, they're always crafted in the same honor tradition based on something. I've learned about you, however, yeah, however minuscule. But I, I pulled this right out of your bio, um, and it's pretty obvious. You know, you're you're a word guy, you're a prose guy, but also a lover of poetry. This is what am I? Am I in the right ballpark? You are in the right ballpark. Okay, so this I'm really excited. I've never played this game, obviously, before with anyone. But this, so something I learned just today. Really excited um, from the same sister who wrote that beautiful piece. So. Um, did you know, here's a fun fact I learned about Emily Dickinson, right? I'm assuming you're familiar. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Almost so certainly I don't know this fun fact. <laughs> so, or you might, I don't know, because it might be circulating on the interwebs right now. But apparently, all of her poems share the same basic meter and phrasing of the Gilligan's Island theme song. No so way. I tested this out. <laughs> it seems to be true. But I... Your challenge today, you get to pick the poem, and I think I'll send it to you in the chat. So I'm going to give you th three choices. There's three poems I pulled out. I'm going to send you just a couple of phrases, and we're going to see how this plays out. So are you up for my stupid game? I am so in. I don't know 
how the Gilligan's Island theme song. Oh, so, because you're young. That's right. I am sorry to admit. Right. It's not just because right. I'm young. My friends right. know I'm kind of what they used to call not a pop culture guy. Where I'm just behind okay. on technology. So basically well, any theme song from a show, I wouldn't okay. know. But yeah. if well, you will come to me one time, I will do this. All right. So I'm going to, I'm just, maybe, maybe you've heard it. So just sit right back and you hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip that started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship that's it that's the basic tune it's a sea okay. chanty if you will okay all right so here's here are your choices all right so three emily dickinson poems so the first one i had to choose it's called twas awkward but it fitted me the second is i taste a liquor never brewed or the third is because i could not stop for death so you choose which one would you like to test out uh liquor never brewed okay i respect that all right hold on this is live people well live as we're doing it so i'm sending it to you in the chat right now okay go. all right did you get it ah uh, there it is okay so the first i'm going to give you a heads up the first line is the title so you start with the second you know what i mean and i'll hum along with you just to just all to, right all right you here ready? we go okay. so Mm, okay. presumably this goes you know all right lights okay. down mm -hmm. lights down spotlight on you lights up mm -hmm. i taste a liquor never brewed from tankers scooped in pearl not all the frankfurt berries yield such alcohol inebriate of arama and debauchery of dew reeling through the endless days from inns of molten blue how close was that to <laughs> gilligan's island that was beautiful that was that touched me in a deep place i just gotta tell you wow thank you nancy i didn't think when i woke up this morning that i would be singing in any emily dickinson poems but i'm glad nobody did that's the beauty of it nobody knew that this moment was coming not even me so this is this is the delight of life that, that god has graced us with so all right so apparently this also works for amazing grace so you can try that one at home so that one i knew about i just did not know about Emily Dickinson. So now you know. Now you're all the better for it. Wow. As in, you could do Emily Dickinson to Amazing Grace, or you can do Amazing Grace to Gilligan's Island? <laughs> no, no, no. You can do Gilligan's Island to Amazing Grace. I know. Now you're intrigued. Oh, wow. You're humming it in your head. I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Amazing totally humming Grace it in my head right now. Say, They're rich like me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is what I'm here for. This is why we call them stupid games. So congratulations. That is so fun. <laughs> so I'm so glad you thought so. We always we live on the edge around here. So um, you know, and the thing is I ran out of mugs. Like all all your family has a mug. I'm, maybe I'll make a mug just for you because you deserve one just for that. So so look for a mug in 2024 from the Isle of Misfits. I will keep an eye out. Extra points okay. that has something from Emily Dickinson on it, or uh, you, which you can write. Oh, maybe. Oh, I could custom make it. You can customize. I this could because I, I could. Yes, usually I would say because they all have your plain standard issue. Isle of Misfits own your office. Even if it's mugs, just a piece of that's just that that's for the write. masses. But you're gonna get, yeah, you're gonna get a customized one just for you. So you just you wait. Coming a post-it note with an Emily Dickinson poem on the side, you know. Something, something. All right, all right. Game on. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks for playing. Oh yes, <laughs> you're welcome. I'm going to try this with my people next. So. Oh, you have to. We have to pass it on, right? Let's. Yeah. Pass. Pass it on. 
So, okay, now we probably, we've been talking now for 15 minutes and we have not yet mentioned the name of your book. We should probably do that now. Would you like me to do it or would you like to do it? I can do it. My book is called The Paradise King, The Tragic History and Spectacular Future of Everything According to Jesus of Nazareth. Great title. Love it. Love it. I don't have you ever titled a book? Um, no, I have I have a dream. I have a misfit book dream, but it has not come to fruition. Oh yet. Yeah. yes, God. Yeah. Bless Nancy's writing in Jesus' name. <laughs> the thing that finally crafted that title was because the book is a sweep of the entire biblical story, a sweep of the picture of reality in the Bible. I thought, especially in terms of the subtitle, if the Bible wasn't titled the books and it had some other name, what would I title it? And I eventually, after trying several options, decided I would title it The Tragic History and Spectacular Future of Everything According to Jesus. Because when you pick up the Bible, you should know that's what you're about to learn. The nature and purpose of God's universe, the history of the world read through the incarnate God Jesus, and then the hope on which our hearts are set. So I may experiment and see, well, you know, with post-it notes on Bibles in the house, if I can get my kids more interested by titling it that way, though I think the library of the books is cool too. I'll have to let you know how it goes though. Yes. Well, for the bibliophiles, right? So some some of it. So you have how many children right now? Two. You have two. And they're they're youngins, right? They're under 10? They are under 10. They're under 10. Okay. So you're probably already finding out though. Some of them are probably more drawn to books than others, maybe. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. My six-year-old is such a voracious reader. Mm -hmm. I can I actually cannot keep up with her so we used to vet books but it, now i'll give the book a very quick scan and alish and i'll have conversations on you read and if you start to get a funny feeling in your heart about this book come tell me about it or as she's becoming the kind of girl who can read you know more dramatic or engrossing books some of them i'll say you yes this book is a yes i breeze through it um because we are a book family so i want to encourage this but then i'll say just so you know there is a pretty intense battle scene in this book that took place mm -hmm. during the civil war and afterwards i'd like to have a conversation with you about it and how it made you feel so yeah. some of the bible books i'm hoping that she just doesn't know are in there until she's much older right. we'll just say oh yeah. judges you can read that later yeah some books from the kingdom period later keep them where they're at but but what i what i love about your approach as parents is you're cultivating discernment in her you're not you know so you're you're giving the guidelines and the parameter and that's that's that is in your purview as parents and at the same time you're giving her some freedom to to exercise discernment and what a wonderful thing you know because there's that balance, you know, to have no boundaries and no borders and just let them loose is kind of cruel. But to but to cut it off even before that they've they've entered in, knowing that they can come to you, like you said, with well, I've got this weird feeling when I read this, you know, to have it's like in inviting them into conversation to contemplate what they're reading, and I think that's a wonderful skill. So good for you. Yes. Thank you. And to teach, uh, 
to teach the actual experience of discernment. Yeah. What yeah. does it feel like to hear the voice of a God who does not shout and to say, Ailish, as you're reading, you might start to feel just a slight funny feeling in your heart, a feeling like maybe you don't want to turn the page or maybe something isn't quite right. You might even feel your shoulders start to come a little bit closer together as you're reading or all of those different ways to learn what discernment, what the voice of God feels like so that you know, we're not meant to be thrown out to sea in any part of the spiritual life of just go sit and pray without giving any handrails as to how you ought to position your body, what it might feel like, what you ought to do with the remarkable gift of the intellect and the imagination. So mm -hmm. we're trying, you know, parenting is my friend uh, says is live ammunition, unfortunately. Um yeah. And there's no dress rehearsal, which sometimes mm -hmm. drives me crazy. I can't believe True. what we are trusted to do. On the job but, training. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm just going to take what you're doing with your children. And I would like to glom onto that for, for us grownups in the church, because I think this, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, that, you know, our tendency is just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. Right. And somewhere between you know, free range, whatever, just uh, have at it, see you later, no borders, no boundaries, no, you know, no guidelines. And okay, well, this is what you got to do. Like, you, you got to bow your head, you got to, you know, face the east or, you know, so like all, you know, somewhere in between there is is that that trust walk, right? And to allow people to experience as adults, I think that's a real challenge. I think a lot of us adults, and good, well-meaning Christians been around for a long time. Our tendency is, oh, please just tell me what to do because it's hard. It's hard to to listen. It's, it's hard, right? And it's oh uh, yes, yeah. Let me give some. Uh, it's so true. It may help our friends listening to know that in any part of the spiritual life, we might be anything from a beginning, from a student to an expert. That's okay. And it can be really helpful to identify, wow, in, even in the individual disciplines of following Jesus, like I'll say that in some forms of prayer, doing healing integration prayer, receiving the presence of God, that's something that I feel like I was trained to do. Other forms of prayer, silent prayer, intercession, these things are much more difficult. So here's a little framework you might find helpful, friends. The, you know, the classics organize their education around three major movements called the trivium. Grammar, logic, rhetoric. Grammar, what are the rules? Logic, how do you apply the rules? Rhetoric, how do you make the rules? Something similar is found in the wisdom literature of the Bible. You know, the what I love about the wisdom literature is that Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job are in some sense a single literary composition. You can say that with some nuance. So Proverbs, life works this way. Work hard and God will reward you. Mm. This is like the logic, kind of the building blocks. Right. Then you get into Ecclesiastes and you get a master teacher who says, it's a bit more complicated than that. It doesn't always work that way. Right. Then you get the master 
you get Job. Mm -hmm. uh, giving the, the wonder and awe of God's heart, which is here is a direct encounter with the architect of the cosmos. So, you know, we talk about being, you know, we want to know what to do. Actually, if you're a beginner, you need to be told, and that's okay. What do you do with your attention? What do you do with your body? That is so important. It's like, you know, premarital counseling is meant to do this for people relationally. Like when you enter an argument, stop. Name the facts, name the feelings, name the interpretation. That is a stage one tool. And, you know, when you begin to study a story in the Bible, I love a method called BFAM. It came out of an organization called Every Home for Christ. And they say, when you begin to study a story in the Bible, name the characters, then name the actions, then name potential emotions and motives, then Look for intriguing details. See if you can key in on what is strange. If it's weird, it's important. Do you see the progression there? Paul and Peter and uh, the epistle writers are kind enough to write to people who are beginners, who are middle of the road, apprentices of Jesus, and who are experts. So we, you, we have freedom, friends, to say, if you are an absolute beginner in some part of the spiritual life, it's okay that you need to be told what to do. In time, Jesus will move you on and you will learn where those practices come from. What is the deeper principle to which they relate? And then, you know, in the end, you get union with Christ. You get to participate in the mystery. So there is a progression and that should come as an incredible relief to those of us who are early on, uh, which in some places of the spiritual life, all of us are beginners. Yeah. Mother Teresa, I'm sorry, not Mother Teresa, Teresa of Avila. Avila. I mixed yes. my, I mix my Teresa's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Teresa of Avila said that yeah. in following Christ, no one becomes so advanced that they must not return to the beginning. Mm. She would just mm. tell her students, begin again. Oh, man. All right. So I, I just got to thank you for that. That was that was a gift because in the kindest way, you you set me straight because I think I've been a little hard on the, you know, just tell me what to do. because And there's reasons for that because I think at some point we have to move on from that. And um, but it, but there's such a beauty and a grace to to this progression that you speak of, you know, because freedom, it's not a free for all. Right. It's the freedom to progress, to move from one thing to the next without guilt, without condemnation, without, you know, you're learning, you're learning and you're growing and you're getting deeper into the story. Like you said, from naming the characters to going to the actions to uh, noticing the emotions. And then, you know, I so I think that's beautiful. So thank you for that. I'm going to take that and just I'm going to glom onto that from here on. I think it's, it's going to help me frame things because I, I, too, want to help people in this progression and and maybe sometimes i default more to you know just the free-for-all which that's not good either i understand i feel this yeah. the generosity of spirit with what you're talking of because there's a spirit in which just tell me what to do can be isolation and fear and we can miss how much we're invited to try and 
fail. Right. Uh, right. Uh, so yeah, I, I will say again, because the main invitation that I want to double down on is that we have a father who is committed to raising us from infancy to maturity in every yeah. Yeah. domain of our lives. And that's incredibly liberating to know. It is. It is. So, so again, I thank you for that. So, and um, I'm taking all of this as a prelude to, I, I would like to spend the next, you know, this next part um, of our conversation. I really want to talk about, um, I want to pull out some quotes from chapter one, because chapter one in and of itself, like we could probably talk several podcasts just about that. Um, because I, and I think all of this has been a prelude, everything we've, we've talked about. Um, in fact, so the first quote in my mind is related to what we're we're talking about, right? Um, because we have we're we're not all fully arrived, right? We start out as children, and in many ways we have to think of ourselves like children. That's what Jesus told us to do. And we have needs. So um, so this is the quote: need is not evil, and weakness is not sin. I love that quote. So I just wanted to, yeah, I'm just gonna throw it back out at you because I'm sure you have more thoughts about that. Isn't that an incredible idea? I, you know, I go on in that section to say that mm -hmm. the triune God is familiar with need because the persons of the Trinity need one another. We have one of the consequences of diseased individualism is that we have come to view our need for other people is a kind of weakness. Mm. There's some wonderful philosophy that's been done on this, but unfortunately, Greeks like Aristotle thought that the more perfect a person became, the less they needed other people. That's a horrible vision of reality, because at the end, you have isolated what some philosophers have called, you know, monads, a little technical, but you just have profound isolation as the destiny of the universe. What a bad story. The We are made for communion. That reality is displayed in the human body, that we're mm. actually made for a communion of persons. It's written into the longings of the soul to be drawn out of ourselves into another, ultimately God. However, our world, the world, and our culture deprecates need. Who wants to be the person who... Who wants to be needy, after all? or a student in class and everyone else seems to know who the first president was or your car is making a sound and you have no idea to you are finding life to be pretty hard everyone else you know it just seems to go better and you can't make it work guess what need need is a vital part of the human experience and a signpost that we are actually meant to find ourselves in relationship ultimately with god but including with each other so it's yeah. it's okay to need help it's okay to need conversation i think that when we realize that that reality originates in the heart of god there is profound rest to be had oh your need, friends, is a part of your eternal existence. Mm. Think about mm. that for a second. At the restoration of all things, you will still need communion with other people. Think about uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, that's so good. Um, so this made me think of, um, I'm sure you're familiar with this as well. So every once in a while, 
my husband and I reread uh, C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. I know I'm all about C.S. Lewis today. Um, so most recently, my favorite of all of them, in fact, probably one of my favorite books of all time is That Hideous Strength. Oh, so, wow. Oh, yes. oh, like the, that was precious. So, so when you were talking about, you know, the, um, this whole idea of, uh, diseased individualism and, you know, the, the, the need for others equals weakness, you know, wasn't that the goal? And I don't want to spoiler it for people who haven't read the book, but for this society that wanted to advance humanity, right? It, it all boiled down to literally, uh, a head, right? Just, yes. Yeah. Yeah, nothing else but a head. It's brilliant. Oh, Lewis was yeah, so yeah. prophetic. Yes. Ooh, he could yeah. see, you know, the world and the flesh and the devil work together, and they have a horrible picture of the future in which, at the end, there's just one intelligence. Right. This this pops up in misunderstandings of the hope of Christianity. You know, that some people think we collapse into the life of God, we lose our individuality mm. and our self to be drawn into it. You know, Lewis called the dance. Mm. It doesn't work that way, friends. Mm. Uh, at the end of this age and beginning of the age to come, the love of God multiplies. I just, you see in all of these propagandistic stories, an attack on the beauty of the triune God, mm -hmm. whose love is generative. He does not collapse in on himself. He multiplies. He does not annihilate the will. He redeems it. Everything about the triune God speaks of intimacy, communion, dignity. You can contrast that with that image of the, you know, because in that hideous strength, spoiler friends, now you can go read that book. But the, the members of the NICE yeah, yeah. tell each other, it's such a horrible picture of competition. They say, you know, at the end, there's only going to be one person left and it might be you and it might be me, but there will be one supreme intelligence gnawing itself in the cosmos. Mm -hmm. It's a horrible idea, but it actually pops up fairly often in the human record. So. I love, sure. love that book. It's so good. Oh, it's truly one of my favorites. And I love the insights that you just, even now, just, just generated out of that. So, and even this idea that we don't lose our identity in Christ, right? Um, we, he actually, he amplifies our identity. He amplifies the, how he made, the way he's wired us. So, um, I know when I talked to your mom recently, um, this phrase came up like, you know, we, we say this and we're so well-meaning, like, oh, I just want to get out of God's way. And it's like, that's not biblical at all, right? <laughs> no, oh, I want to be yeah. right in his way. I way because that's the union, right? And he made he made you for a reason. He didn't want to, like you said, annihilate your personality. No, no, he he wants to amplify your personality. And exactly. And, yeah. Or the other phrase, yeah. I just want to be used by God. Yeah. Right? yeah. First of all, I say that the underlying desire is very good. So if you've ever said that. Yes. That's a noble ambition. Yes. At the same time, let's modify it slightly. God is not an abuser. He does not use people to mm. accomplish certain things. He partners with people. He, he's utterly scandalous in the fact he really wants 
people to bring their will into collaboration with him. And, you know, I, you might have read this. I talk about it a bit in the chap, in chapter one. But when I was researching for this book, I was reading this slightly old, but still very good, you know, technical term, theological lexicon, you know, kind of a theology of words as they pop up in the Old Testament. And I was reading about the image, being made in the image of God. And the editors who are pretty remarkable biblical scholars said, when God says, let us make man in our image, they say the well-known image of a Babylonian or Canaanite assembly of the gods in the background. I kind of freaked out and I said, mm. well-known image, wait, what are you talking about? Yeah. Well, I dove into it and I said, oh, well, most ancient Jews and actually, you know, many, I would say, virtually all modern interpreters see God populating the unseen realm very early in the creation account. So the angels and the archangels and the chair, all of these ranks of heavenly creatures have arrived on the scene. Uh, if you want to know kind of the mechanics of that, I will say you're more than welcome to read my book. Um, you can. Yes, uh, by the way, say, yes, read the book. Yeah. I mean, honestly, partially as a joke, but the, the creation account is so beautiful. And then people see, scholars have seen God inviting the contribution of his creatures into the work. We know that we as humans create alongside God, that he wanted us to learn the template and then to make the rest of the world like Eden, as the prophets say, a place where the knowledge of God covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. And people like Michael Heiser, people like Stephen DeYoung have pointed out, uh, even ancient Jewish interpreters, they actually saw vigorous arguments in the workshop of heaven as the cosmos were being made. You know, that's a creative idea versus like a, a biblical theological idea. But it's such a beautiful picture of the fact that God loves collaboration. He does not throw solutions at a problem when yeah he throws questions right more falls, questions he yeah. partners he's constantly yeah. popping up in the story. Hey Abraham, Sarah, I have an idea. You guys want to come? Hey David, this kingdom thing's not working out, but I do not want to abandon the project. Do you want to team up with me? Mm. Hey mm. apostles. I'm doing something new. I'm remaking humanity. Come up with me on a mountain and I will designate you as the sent ones of the gospel. It, the collaboration of Jesus is unbelievably beautiful. Right. It's astounding, really. And in some ways it seems scandalous. Like or and it, I I don't want to be uh um inappropriate in using this word, but I, I mean it it almost seems ridiculous. Like God, you don't need us. What what are, what are you talking about? Come on, it seems almost unholy. But I think it's a reframing of well, well, what is holy, right? Holy is not my yes. understanding of holy. It's not well my religious fastidiousness. And no, um, this is how it's supposed to be. No, holy is the other, right? He's not altogether like us. And this is what I hear you talking about. That he he invites us to collaborate with him. And it's not for us to stand in judgment over that. 
It's not for us to say, no, you couldn't possibly do that because somehow I think I know better than you, right? Um, that invitation, there's there's a humility in accepting that invitation because any other response to that is 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 an inappropriate response, right? It's it's a it's a response of presumption or entitlement. And that's not what he's inviting us to. It's like, really? Really? You want me? To be a part of this and and to say no is actually so prideful yes uh oh my gosh the picture of god in the bible is of the best king imaginable mm -hmm. in one kings 22 there is a, a fascinating story where ahab the wicked king ahab is trying to build a military coalition and go to war. But the king of Judah recognizes, hey, there's no prophet representing Yahweh here. So can we get a prophet of Yahweh? And Ahab says there is one, but he never says anything good. <laughs> Footnote, if a prophet who speaks for the triune God never says anything good to you, that should be taken as a pretty big yeah. warning. Yeah. Well, yeah. Micaiah comes. Yeah. Micaiah comes and he talks to Ahab and he gives this unbelievable line he's, where he sees the throne of God with the host of heaven around him. And he says, and the Lord said, this is starting, this is 1 Kings uh, 22, starting in verse 20. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this and another that. Finally, a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him by what means, the Lord said. Mm. Okay. Collaboration. Slow down. Yeah, Do you see this great. picture? You, yeah. you see the king of the universe, God yeah. most high, saying yeah. Ahab is dragging this nation down to death. We have got to do something. Now, he is capable of solving this problem on his own, but that's not how he prefers to work. So he says, who's got ideas? And yeah. then, yeah, brainstorm like, session, yes, right? The yeah. servants of the Most High God, yeah. you know, begin to come up and say, ah, how about this idea? Yeah. Uh, who else? Yeah. What else? You know, this one. And then one says, I have an idea. And you get a dialogue. Okay, very, okay, very good. You have an idea. What is it? Mm -hmm. You know, I will put a spirit in the mouth of his prophets. Go ahead. Give it a try. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. It is a captivating picture of God. It's so unlike the detached, you know, far apart God that so many people grow up picturing. The, I, I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, brainstorm session with the Almighty, right? And again, that almost sounds like, are you kidding me? But hey. It's not for me to question, just like it's not for me to question. I was joking, you know, with why, God, would you have the, the Eldridges or anybody from Wild at Heart come on this podcast? And, um, you know, at some point, you just got to stop questioning it and say, thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and because any other response is is me saying no to God as if I know better than him. That's so good. Yes, we are invited to collaborate with God and... It begins by orienting ourselves to his story. We do have to know what kind of place the world is. That's that we're raised from immaturity to maturity in every domain of our lives. But we find ourselves, as you said, we find ourselves invited into these incredible projects. And I think we know deep down that we lack the credentials, 
Jesus is just not concerned with this. He wants humanity to come into covenant partnership with him, to abide in him. So here you are hosting this great podcast because it displays the way of Jesus, which is to say, Nancy, I have an idea. I want to speak to my friends about life in the kingdom, but I want you to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, there were so many, there's been so many times over the years as a writer where I have been deeply aware there are better writers. There are more qualified people. And yet there are these ideas that feel like invitations from God that over time, Em and I learned to say, let's do it. Let's do it, not solely for outcomes, but because it seems like a great project inside mm. of which to enjoy relationship with Jesus. Mm. It kind of mm. seems to be the way of things. It it indeed it does. And I think you just said it so beautifully that, you know, we don't do it for the outcomes. I mean, you know, God God's got the outcomes, right? And there will be outcomes. He's promised us that. So there will be reaping, but for the the joy of that of union with Jesus, collaborating with him, the relationship. So let's let's just bring this back full circle. The first thing we talked about is our, our need for each other, right? The union that that God began in and of himself, right? Before time. I mean, it, time eternal. That God is in he's in relationship with himself. He's modeled that. So we we truly need each other. So even this idea of, hey, let's write a book and whether or not somebody else is a quote better writer or a better podcaster, that really isn't the point. It's like, what has God given you to do? Because somebody needs it, right? Somebody needs to hear from you the way the the voice that God has given you. And that's true for everybody listening, whatever it is, whether you're a writer, a podcaster, uh, a teacher, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you find yourself doing, raising your children, going to work every day, wherever you might work in the hospital or the grocery store or whatever, like somebody needs you. And by the way, you need them too, because that's how it's, that's how he's wired us. Yes. Yeah. Man, I, I feel excited when I think of our friends listening to this show. When it comes to being invited by God to collaborate, there's something that feels important to say, which is Jesus is deeply committed to the healing of your humanity. Mm -hmm. And it is important to know that we are a traumatized people. Eugene, you, the great Eugene Peterson said, you know, that the devil specializes in three things. You know what? Sometimes I mix my sources. This may be Richard Foster. So friends listening, you can fact check me. It's yeah, one Google of those it. two. Yes. Yeah. That's um, what the Google's for. It's Peterson yeah. or Foster. And he says the devil specializes in three things, hurry, noise, and crowds. If he can keep us going with muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. Now, we all, on the one hand, you can hear a quote like that and think, oh, man, I, I'm too busy. I'm too hurried. I got to, I'll say, let's hear the invitation of Jesus to the healing of your humanity. Because hurry, noise, and crowds, the late modern world in which we live actually traumatizes the soul. And here's why that matters. The Theologian Scott Harrower, he wrote a wonderful book that doesn't sound like a wonderful book because it's about horror and what it does to human beings. 
But therapists have observed that trauma destroys our sense of reality. It actually destroys our sense of self. So what I'm telling you, friends listening, is that the stories of the world and the pace of life and the frenetic everything and the news and the disasters and all of that over time destroys our sense of story. It destroys our sense of reality and it destroys our sense of self. So to recover those things, we have to go back to the well. We have to acquaint ourselves with Jesus and learn his way. The reason why I wrote a book about the whole story of God was because we are a traumatized people. The reason I wrote it in stories rather than as exposition, the first thing that happened is called the Genesis. Um, but instead, let's enter into some of the emotional reality mm-hmm. was because the human race is not doing well. And to hear a story uh, that reflects the story of God can actually be a balm to the kind of frenzied soul. Just say, let me just tell you a story about the place the world is and the kind of God we get to follow. And let me tell you what happened, how we got here, so that by recovering a sense of story, recovering a sense of reality, recovering a sense of self, we could bring a self back into communion with God. Because collaboration, right, presumes communion with God. Most of us need to recover that first. Uh, rather, God is very kind. He's willing to come into your life right now. He is available. I'm not saying he won't. At the same time, many of us do need to restore a living connection to receive God's affection and then begin to imagine what it might be like to collaborate with him in the everyday territory of our lives rather than doing it some other way. I realize that was a monologue, but it ought to be encouraging to our friends to know Jesus cares deeply about the restoration of your humanity, the putting back together, even of your sense of self, so that you can bring it into communion with him. So I, for one, uh, thoroughly enjoyed that monologue, and I, I probably, I'm sure other people need to hear it too, but right now, I am I know I needed to hear that because I think a lot of times it's it's very easy to default to um, just, you know, when I get my act together, then maybe we can collaborate. And, um, and it's, it's that tension between, you know, we, I spoke of holiness before. It's not this presumption. It's not this, oh, God is happy with every single thing we do and every impulse of our, of our heart, um, you know, of our heart apart from the nature of, of Christ within us, um, but we live in this world, and I, I think, especially right now, I'm speaking particularly to those of us in the church with a big C. Um, and there's others that are listening. That, and I'm so glad that you're here too. But, um, but it's very easy to default back and and to go back in a way that's not helpful or healthy. To go back to just this facts and figures and the rules and and. To not enter into that invitation, I guess I will say. Um, so what you just shared is such a is such a necessary reminder that God's got more. He's got more for us. Like I'm I'm distilling it down because you you put it so beautifully, but he's got more for us than just the rules and regulations, which is not to not decrying, right? I mean, he, his law is perfect, reviving the soul. But if we reduce it to just 
a bunch of, you know, behavior modification. I think I've I've heard that term around wild at heart, right? Um, the gospel is more than behave than sin management and behavior modification. He's getting after our heart. And that's what I hear you saying. Yes. And so and you know, you and I had to reschedule this conversation twice. And it it must be said that we are not living through an ordinary time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm a one-time academic, and so I think that the kind of academic literature around the state of civilization, yeah, I realize these are highfalutin uh, kind of all capital letters taglines, mm-hmm. but what I mean is I'm really interested in the state of the world. Mm-hmm. It, you know, is the sky falling? Is there nothing new under the sun? What story am I in that can tell me how to live? And it is so helpful for people following Jesus today to know it's not normal, my friends. You can look at virtually any discipline. There's a discipline called cleodynamics. It's the mathematical study of history. Peter Turchin is a pioneer in that field, and he has observed, listen, you're living through uh, a time of profound societal change where one structure is collapsing. Mm -hmm. It does not feel good to live through the collapse of a social structure. It's very hard on the soul. You were made for Eden, friends. Mm-hmm. There's great work being done right now on the state of Christianity in the West. We are living through a population collapse mm-hmm. where the decline of the Western church is, I would use the word catastrophic right now. And when that happens, it's very hard on the human soul. And we are not immune having this podcast conversation in an ivory tower. We are trying to follow Jesus in lives that are sometimes great, sometimes chaotic, but always have the background pressure of a very hard time. And Mm -hmm. in a moment like that one, yeah, the invitation of Jesus to come, ask for the ancient paths walk in it and find rest for your souls is a more alluring and a more pressing invitation than ever. So friends listening, it's not in your head, actually. And there is a way to live in which you will find yourself, you know, week over week, year over year, actually bearing more of the fruit of joy and peace because you're learning to anchor your life in God. That's kind of the invitation of Jesus to the church in our time of come recover the ancient path. Come and recover the story of Christianity. We have a wonderful story to tell the world. And we have an incredible way to live with Jesus as our teacher, kind of showing us around life. Do this with your imagination. Do this with your time. Steer clear of engagements that look like that one. Not at all in a legalistic way, but again, back to the beginning of our conversation, that theologian Robert Barron describes it in terms of golf, where he said, if you were to go learn to golf, and I don't know how to golf, so I take this on faith, but he said, (laughs) you would go out and they would teach you how to hold a club, how to stand, how to swing. They would tell you how to move your body. And when you could do it, you would find freedom. Being human is like that. Mm. It is a skill and Jesus knows how to do it. So when he says, Think of reality this way. 
Do this with your mornings. Do this with your relationships. He's teaching you the mechanics of the human experience so that you can really express your creativity in his world. So again, I'm sorry. You can have compassion on my wife now because I'm a monologuer. Um, but I hope you hear just some of the beauty of the invitation of Jesus in our time to come and find rest. Yeah, I like that invitation. And yeah, I'm... I say amen to that. I say amen to the monologues. Keep them coming. It's the way God's wired you, and I'm sure your wife loves it um, because that's, I'm, I would guess, that's probably one of the things that drew her to you in the first place. So good on you. Um, Blaine, there's at least 10 more quotes that I had that I want to talk to you. So um, we, we've run out of time for today, but I, I just want to ask you, would you sometime come back? Because I just so enjoy talking to you. I would love to pick up this conversation at another time. Absolutely. I would love to come back. Love your show. Love your heart. So it would that be would so be fun to do this again. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your kindness. Thank you for being a good sport with Emily Dickinson slash Gilligan's Island. Um, it's just it's just been a pleasure. Now, now I know why they all like you in the Eldridge household. Thank you very much. This has been so fun. So bless you bless you at advent uh pray that we both find a little less chaos here at the end of the year and to those listening oh bless you pray that you would comprehend the depth of the love of god for you and feel his affection today as you drive or run or listen to this show as you turn your attention to jesus you would be reminded of how greatly he loves you and how much he wants it to go well for you so thank you for this show. Amen and thank you. God bless you. I feel like this is one of the more important podcasts that we've had here on the Isle of Misfits. And I know I often say things like that, but you know, this is still true because I, I believe each conversation builds on the conversations that preceded it. And this is no exception. Thank you so much to Blaine Eldridge. Buy the book. Get the book. The name of it is The Paradise King. The Tragic History and Spectacular Future of Everything According to Jesus of Nazareth. You can get it wherever you buy your books. You can check out Blaine at Blaine Eldridge, E-L-D-R-E-D-G-E dot -E -E com. You can check him out at Wild at Heart Podcast. He's often a, a, a co-host there. And would you share this conversation with other people? Because I know it encouraged me. I know it's going to encourage many people. So give it a share. Give us a like, give us a, a review if you're if you're digging these podcasts. It helps with our visibility on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And most of all, would you would you visit us on the Isle of Misfits? That's I S L E of Misfits.com uh, because we have more great podcasts like these, more misfit fun for everyone. And most of all, we want to join you on this journey of owning our awkward, knowing the way God has wired us, right? Loving our fellow misfit and seeking beauty and truth everywhere.